a game changer. Someone, some idea, or something that creates a significant shift in the way things are done. Now, some of you shifted and you started looking at me because I'm not where I'm supposed to be, right? Wait a second, why are you over there? Stop it. Go where you're supposed to. Well, a game changer shifts things. A game changer makes things the way they were and says, hey, this wasn't good enough. We can do better. And, and they're always pushing toward, towards something different. So I wanted to start by just shifting a little bit so that we don't just go through another Sunday service the same way we have. Some of you, this is your first time. We're so glad you're here. Others of you, you haven't been here. I mean, you've been here for weeks and months and years, and you just go through the same process every week. But a game changer causes a shift. You see, there's been some big shifts in, like, products, and there's inventions that have really changed the game, right? Like a wheel was kind of important. Glad we got that one. Engines, printing press, the light bulb, kind of a big deal. Glad we got that. Um, Then we had telephones. There was all kinds of inventions that really impacted the way that we live. Somebody introduced something that changed the game. And then there's been people that have been game changers. I mean, just like the light bulb, Thomas Edison, Neil Armstrong, Isaac Newton, Einstein, George Washington, Beethoven, Picasso, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King. And Time did a search and they did a big research project to figure out who was the greatest game changer in all of history. And it should come to no surprise to us The number one game changer in all of history was who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has changed the course of history more than any one individual of all time who's ever existed. And and they all changed the game. But here's the thing. If we're honest, we don't really want to be game changers, right? Because each of them, most of them were ridiculed as stupid, right? Many of them, people didn't even know how wise they were till after they died. And their inventions, they were just made fun of, like, you're, what are you doing? And then the ultimate game changer was what? What happened to him? He's crucified by the people he came to save. So we'd rather be early adopters, right? We'll let somebody else be the game changer, and I'll just come in after you, and once you've figured it out, I'll just lean on your shoulders. Well, We get to stand on the shoulders of these people, but God is not saying the game's over. Instead, he wants us to be game changers as well. And he's still writing his story through our lives today. So as we look back at the Bible, who do we think of are the great game changers? Well, we've already talked about John the Baptist, Gideon, Nehemiah, Esther, and David. Today, we're closing out with someone else, but but there's even more. Like, like Solomon and Moses and Paul. These were all huge game changers. Uh, Judas was a game changer. <laughs> not the kind of game changer we want to be. Uh, but he changed the game. Not in a good way. Uh, but we're looking at a guy today who had something amazing that stood out. That changed the very perspective of an entire people. We're looking at Joshua. Joshua saw things differently. He led differently, and he challenged differently. 
in each stage of his life, he created a shift. Now, one of the things I love about MCC is we are a congregation with people from every stage of life. Because every stage is so important. And every person that walks through this life should walk through five stages of, of life. And the first phase is the beloved child. Everyone should enter in to this life and find love that gives them confidence and security. And this is the beloved child phase. And then we go from that to our squire or apprenticeship phase. This is where we begin to learn a skill to be able to benefit our community. We learn something that's useful that we can do. Well, And then we move into the warrior or worker phase. This is where we take that skill that we learned and we put it into practice and we do that thing for the good of our community. After the warrior worker phase, we move into the leader or nurturer phase. This is where we're no longer the ones necessarily always doing it. Instead, we're preparing other people to do it and leveraging a greater opportunity for more and more people uh, to use the gifts they have. And finally, we move into the sage phase. This is where we get to lead leaders with wisdom so they lead warriors even better. But the goal of our lives is to figure out how can I leverage my life to make it better for those that come after me? Because the greatest use of a life is to invest in what outlasts, right? You don't want your life to die with you. Truth is, 10 out of 10 of us die. We're all facing that someday. But we don't want it to die with us. We want to have an impact that lasts beyond our life. But the problem is, at each stage, we're like, okay, God, I know you want to write your story, but we think it's not really for me because we compare ourselves to the other phases and we disqualify ourselves from being the one God would use. Because when we're in the teenage phase or the, um, the apprentice phase, we always say, well, I don't know enough. I can't be used by God. Or we're in the warrior worker phase and we're like, well, I'm too busy. Do you know what my job's asking of me right now? Or when we get into the leader, nurturer phase, we're like, well, I'm supposed to be helping other people do it. I'm not supposed to do it. And then the sage phase, we just go, I'm tired. I'm done. They're not going to listen to me anyway. Why even try? And so in each phase, we try to find a way to kind of pass it on to somebody else to do the work. Well, Joshua, um, we pick up with him as an apprentice when he was a spy that Moses sent into the land to go discover what was going on there. And he sent several people, but it's amazing how Joshua responds with Caleb. Let's check it out in Numbers 14, verses 6 through 9. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, I just like to say that one, sorry, uh, who were among those who had explored their land, they tore their clothes now, now, tearing your clothes is not just they were trying to get their shirt off fast. They were grieving. In deep grief, they would tear their clothes going, what's wrong with us? And it says, they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we pass through is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Now, flowing with milk and honey, I always wonder what that meant. Um, you can only flow with milk if you have a lot of livestock. So that meant they had a lot of livestock in the area. And it flows with honey, not because honey's flowing, but that's just a term of really good vegetation. 
um, because bees make honey and they're kind of important for that process. So they're saying, this is a really good land. We should go and take it. And God will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And Joshua does what is the most basic thing we've got to do all the time. He shifts the focus. He says, hey, it's not about what I can do. It's about what God can do. I can't, but he can. This is impossible. We can't take the promised land. And then God's like, yeah, right. But with me, all things are possible. And he shifts the focus from their ability, that's finite, to God's unexhaustible resources that he could do whatever he wants. They let the fear of the Nephilim. The Nephilim were these big, giant soldiers. This is probably where Goliath descended from. So the Nephilim were in the land. And so they went in like, oh no. We're not, we're not going to fight those guys. This isn't going to go well. And what they did is they let the fear of man drive out their faith in God. And church, let me just challenge something real quick. This is what you're faced with every day. The temptation to let the fear of people drive out your faith in God. And we as the church need to come back to what the writer of Proverbs says, Solomon in Um, Proverbs 1 verse 7 said this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we need to come to the other side and say, no, I'm going to let the fear of God drive out my fear of man. I don't have to be afraid of you. Come on, my God's with me. And this is what they got back, back then. Josh was like, shift the focus. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do. And so he challenges the people to say, do you understand who controls the oxygen that you breathe? Do you know that he could shift this earth off the axis and every one of us would die in a moment? Hold up. Let the fear of God, the reverence and awe of God drive out my fear of man. What can man do to me? Is what Jesus said. He said, hey, they can kill you, but all they're doing is sending you to be with the Father quicker. And so they have nothing on us. And we get to shift to begin to believe God to be God. Because when I believe God to be God, I lean on his plan and power. I begin, wait, quickly, do I have any worriers or controllers out there at all? Nobody struggles with that out in the crowd, do they? Okay. Um, No, we all want to be in charge. We want to be the one in control. We want to be the one making the plans that it goes just as I want it to go. Well, Here's the beauty of following God. God loves you enough to put you through tough moments that get you to the end of yourself. He loves you enough to get you to the point where you go, oh, I can't. He goes, all right, sweet, lean into me. I'm tired. Yep, lean on me. God, you don't understand. I'm overwhelmed. Yep, yep, lean on me and my plan, my power. It's not about you. The story's all about me. I'm guiding you to see me, to let me show off. It's not about you. I don't want you to get the credit. I want for you to be a light shining back toward, just a reflection of who I am. But because Joshua leaned on God's power, God speaks to Joshua in Joshua 1, 5 through 6, and has this moment. 
He says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Can you imagine getting that promise from God? He's like, yeah, that's right. What's up? I got God. He just told me nobody can stand against me. You want some? And so anyway, he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their ancestors to give them. There's one statement that God actually reiterates three times in his conversation with Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Hey, Joshua, be strong and courageous. And he says that three times in his his quick little discourse with Joshua. And then the people come to Joshua after he talks to them. They say, okay, okay, we'll follow you. Only be strong and courageous. You know why? Because being a game changer ain't easy. It takes a lot of courage. And you know what people hate? Change. (laughs) And when you're leading a people that hate change, they're going to be complaining. You're going to be taking shots. You're going to have to be strong and courageous. Because people like what comes from a game changer, but they never like the game changer in the moment. Because we all like it to stay as it was, the whole time they're complaining about, well, let's go back to Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt. Why would you want to go back there? Well, because we know what that was. <laughs> and that's, people just resist change. So Joshua focuses the people to say, lean on God, lean on his power, his plan. And then he shifts it to the community. And then in Joshua 3, 5, it says, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Do you guys know what happened next? Joshua takes this people and he leads them up to the Jordan River. Now, this isn't a river that you can just cross because he's got this huge nation of people behind him. And guess what happens? Boom, the waters part and they walk through. Does this sound familiar? That happened somewhere else in the Bible? Oh yeah, when they got sent out of Egypt... to be free people, now he's sending them back to be a new people. And he begins to shift the culture. The culture is shifted from wanderers to warriors. They're shifted from people meant to die to a people meant to live. And and the people resisted it, but he began to say, we've got to shift this culture because we're not meant to just wander around and die. And let me challenge real quick. I think many of you are just trying to get through life. You're not asking, God, how can you use me for your purpose and your plan? You're just saying, how do I make the bills work right now? And I get it. I know it's hard at times. But God has a plan for your life. And I want to shift. I pray that we as a team, as a culture, can shift the culture at MCC. But what Joshua does is he takes the people. He says, all right, we're going to be warriors. And they step into the promised land. And of course, God makes it easy on them, right? All right, just go and attack this little place and start. Make sure to get your feet wet in the promised land. No, what do they do? They go up to Jericho, okay? Jericho basically comes with, oh no, all right? That's what follows next. I do not want to go fight those people. That's like the biggest fortress. Why did you bring us in the promised land with the hardest battle first, God? He goes, all right battle plan. Ready? You're going to walk around the city. 
And he's like, and? No, no, that's it. Okay. Weird. So we'll do it. So they walk around the city one day, and then they come back, and God's like, all right, next day, walk around the city. What? (laughs) I'm sure he's just going, this is a horrible idea. The archers are going to pick us off. Walking is not warring, God. What are we doing? So they walk. And then the next day, walk around the city. I'm sure he's like, can we do something else? And he's like, if you want to do it yourself, okay, okay, we'll walk. And so he walks. And and the whole community, again, walks. And then on the seventh day, they get a new battle plan. This one's going to be even better. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. I'm sure he's like, yeah, right. So your new battle plan is, ah! That's it? That's what we're supposed to do next? So next time I'm in a sword sword battle, I'm just going to throw my sword down and scream at the guy. Okay? So they go up to battle and say, fine, we'll do it. Well, wouldn't you know, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. And their culture was shifted from complainers to conquerors. And they began to know that my God is with me. I should not doubt. I should live in light of who I am. And that culture was changed from that point forward. They began to know that no one can stand against us. And I pray that our culture at MCC would be shifted radically. And here's my prayer behind this whole thing. I pray that we would be people that say, I don't go to church. I am the church. That we would no longer think that there's a place that we attend and that's where God is. And then we go back to our secular lifestyles as if nothing happened. But instead, we would realize that I carry around in my body the presence of God if I've said yes to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I am more than conquerors because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and who guides me and has a plan and power for me to do whatever he has for me to do. That is what, amen, that's who we want to be. We want to be people that step into the opportunity. We need to be looking at this place. I love that we were put in the gym for the summer because it makes us not think that God's somehow over in the worship center. That instead we know that he's everywhere. He's with us wherever we go. It doesn't matter where we go. We can have worship at the pool or at our homes, but we come together as a community to say, what's my part? What do I do? How can I get invested and be a part of what God's doing here at MCC? That's why this place exists. Not because you go to church. You are the church. And we should be people that everywhere we go, we shift the culture. We shift the experience. That whenever a Christian enters the room, there should be a more life-giving, loving, encouraging atmosphere. Because God just showed up. God just entered the room. Because we host his presence. You see, I love to play golf. I got any other golfers in here at all? Um, I, I love all sports. But one of the things my dad, my brother, and I always do whenever we go on vacation is we always go and play golf. Well, the problem is that's three. What are you supposed to have in golf? Foursome, all right? So normally, 
they add another person with us. And that person jumps on our team. And I usually ride with this person because I love to hear people's stories and get to know them and all that stuff. Well, somewhere, usually around hole four or so, um, it comes up. I usually start talking something about Jesus or they ask me what I do and I tell them I'm a pastor. And then they kind of have this, oh, no. What have I said on the first four holes at this point? And they began to kind of process, because golf's the only sport that's a four-letter word for a reason, right? Because it's so frustrating. And so they normally go, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, it's okay. Um, and, but what's happened is they shift their experience because they know that they just came into, not, I'm nothing special, but all of a sudden they knew that I represented something bigger than me. And, and God was also present in that golf cart. And they had to shift their focus. They had to shift the way they were living. See, that hasn't happened just since I was in uh, a, a pastor, an official professional Christian. Uh, this started happening for me when I was a sophomore in high school. I started to live for Jesus. God started using me, and our campus was radically changed. It was amazing what God did at our school while we were in high school. Just a bunch of my friends. We all just started getting serious about Jesus. And, and a lot of my friends, uh, my other friends that didn't know Jesus yet, I'd kind of walk in the room, and they'd go, oh, yeah, so there you go, so cut it, you know, or whatever, because there would be certain jokes or certain things that weren't cool and they knew it, but they would shift because I stepped in. And again, I'm nothing special, but we've got to be people. The people of God should be, should not be thermometers. Somebody tell me real quick. There's a huge difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. Somebody tell me, what does a thermometer do? Yeah. Measures or reads the temperature. A thermometer is simply, you bring it into a room and it'll say 68, 70, 72. For those of you that don't use air conditioning, 78. Um, all it's doing is telling what the temperature is in the room. It's not affecting anything. And I think for the most part as a culture, Christians, we've gone silent and we've let the culture tell us how we should adjust our behavior. Instead of saying, no, 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 you don't tell us how to live. We know how to live. Our God created life and he gave us life and we want to show you life. We instead are not called to be thermometers. We're called to be thermostats. What's the thermostat do? Sets the culture or sets the temperature. A thermostat, when you have that control, you tell that what, to, what it should feel like in the room. And a thermostat comes in and sets the culture. See, we're not meant to be told by other people how we should live. We should be affecting our culture and saying, this is where life is found. Everywhere a Christian goes, it should be more encouraging, more life-giving, more loving. Because we entered the room and we brought the presence of God with us. We can set the culture. Epic Lead is a team that I lead. It's my students that help lead um, what all happens at Epic, which has been amazing to be a part of. And there's a group about three years ago, we were at an Epic Lead meeting and we had about 20 of our students. And I was just like, hey, be honest, what's not working? We try to have unfiltered evaluation moments so we get better. Well, they said, honestly, we hate our worship environment right now. Okay, tell me what's going on. They're like, well, whenever it's time to sing, people just kind of put their head down. Nobody sings really. They start looking at their phones and it's all like weird. It's not what we want it to be. Well, what do you want it to be? Well, we love retreats. Like at retreats, everybody's up front, jumping around, 
praising God. They're in freedom. It's awesome. What are you going to do about it? Uh, I don't know. And then I said, well, what if all 20 of you next Sunday walk forward? You went to the front and you just started worshiping and praising God in freedom like you want it to be. They said, oh, yeah, I guess we could do that. And then the next Sunday, and the rest is history. They walk forward and all the rest of the people in the room go, oh, I guess we're going forward today. And they just join them up front. And if you know anything about Epic right now, one of the things that marks our movement is worship of God that's free and alive. And it all started then. There was a group of people that said, we're not thermometers, we're thermostats. We're setting the culture, and this is going to be different because we're here. And it was amazing to see what God did and what he's doing in response to that. Um, My wife and I, we live on a street of families and people um, just like you do. And we realize that there's a lot of disconnected people and that people have opinions of each other. They don't really know each other. They've kind of made up stories about each other. Does that happen? Are you guys, you know, that guy was like, well, that guy, you know, so we all have this like thought. And, and so we said, we don't want it to be that way. And instead we said, let's do something about it. So we had a game night at our house and we passed out flyers to every mailbox and had everybody come over to our house. And a lot of them did. And we had this hilarious time where we laughed a lot and it changed the temperature, the culture of our street. Where now we walk outside and it's like, hey, what's going on? And we know the people on our street because we said, hey, we don't want to just read the temperature. We want to set the temperature. Well, Joshua continues to lead and he sets the culture as they conquer 31 kings and they take over the promised land. Then he approached the end of his life and, and knows that he's going to be passing on the opportunity of leadership to someone else. And he enters the sage phase. He realized it's not about me anymore leading. I'm just supposed to be equipping. He gathers the people and he has this long message for them. And he says, he ends it with, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the god of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But for me and my household, we we will serve the Lord. And he shifts the challenge. So he starts by shifting the focus of his life, saying, God, it's about you. It's not about me. It's all about you. It's not about me. Help me, God, to shift my focus. And then he says, it's not just about me. It's about this whole community, God. I want to shift this culture. And then he realizes his life's about to end, and so he shifts the challenge. Don't follow me, but I want you to begin to live out the story. I want you to do what God's calling you to do. And he actually changes the Hebrew article. The first time he uses the word you, it's the plural you. I'm from Kentucky, so that means y'all, all all right? So he said, all right, y'all, y'all need to follow Jesus, all right, or follow God. And then he goes to the end, and he says, but as for you, What will you do? And the challenge gets really personal. He says, what about you individually? What's your part of God's story? This is no longer about what everybody else is going to do. It's about what will you do? And then I love what happens next. Well, the people all respond. We too will serve the Lord 
All of them together. And I've never noticed this in the story until I prep for this message. But next he goes, no, you won't. And he calls them out hardcore. He's like, I know you too well. You're a bunch of complainers. You're not going to do anything. You want to go back to Egypt just a few years ago, and you're telling me you're going to serve the Lord with all your heart, right? Here's, here's what I've seen way too much in my life, honestly. I've seen a lot of people with good intentions and really bad follow-through. I've seen people who aren't willing to shift priorities. They're willing to sing songs and say, I love you, God, with all my heart. Just don't ask for any of my time. And they begin to, to shift based on what the culture tells them to do versus the way they're called to live. And so Joshua calls them out and tries to talk them out of serving God. So we're going to challenge you today to get involved with what's happening at MCC. And we're going to ask you at the end to serve and find a role of serving. But first, I want to try to talk you out of it. Because we want people that want to serve. Here's the reality. You don't have time to serve. Your job requires too much. And this isn't that important. It's way more important than a church commitment that you do your job well. You're, you're more important. People should serve you. You shouldn't serve others. I mean, two hours on a Sunday? I mean, they might even ask for a day during the week. That's going to be awful. The church asks too much. The church probably doesn't even need you anyway. You're not that gifted. I mean, you're not a musician. You're not tech savvy. You're not good with kids. You don't have any role here. There probably isn't even a place for your gifts. You give money so you don't have to give time. What if you let somebody down? You're not even a good enough Christian yet. You can't do this. I mean, one day when you get your act together, then you can serve. Well, try to talk you out of it. But I'm going to let somebody else try to talk you into it. This is a guy who's really gifted. His name's Propaganda. And uh, he is one of my favorites. He's like a rapper-poet combo that has an incredible challenge for us to raise the banner. So check out this video, and then we'll close. You know, it's funny how the simplest things teach us the deepest concepts. Areas you don't expect to learn things in. Nursery rhymes. Children's stories. I remember the day I was attempting to read my daughter a bedtime story in hopes to teach her something. Teach her something. And it turned I learned more than I had in years. I read the story a million times and it never hit me till that night. It never fails. The tortoise always wins I learned it was not a game that we are standard bearers and we should raise our banners we should demand better no matter how long it takes raise our banners testify rally cry under the banner this is Jehovah King Nisi we should follow the banner for our children for our neighbors For our communities, follow a banner. Everybody, unashamed, lock your arms, plant your feet, look around. They need you to follow the banner. Listen, I speak to Theos, to Theas, to Ates, to Quias. We should consider our influence because the little ones want to be us. And listen, this isn't about ego. 
Somehow we started thinking so selfishly like the call to be the best is really what's best for our community. It's consistency. And it changes the future of a family. Because when one goes to college, did you know that it breaks the cycle of poverty in Chicago? I met this ex-vice lord. He told me about when he dropped his flags. And he picked up the pulpit, but that put the price on his head. But tortoise and the hairstyle. He was brave in the drought. And he said that last week he baptized the guy that put the head out. Listen, my cousin Aaron... He was shooting kites to Aunt Curlin. Vocabulary lesson. (laughs) Shooting kites is a letter from jail. To my Aunt Curlin. About how he hated his life and was like, tell me a little more about Christ. He is well versed in gang talk. But he fooled them OGs and them prison guards. And now he walks a yard he owns. No coulda, shoulda, wouldas. That is on my kin, folks. I've read the story a million times. The tortoise always wins. We are standard bearers. Listen, we are better husbands. We are better fathers. We're more servants. More diligence. No excuses. They are useless. You can do this. Follow the banner. It takes discipline. To be dead to sin. You can't do it alone. You need your kin. So we keep the pace. Just understand the race. Listen. You don't have to be fast. Just don't run out of gas. No honorable mentions. We leave no leftovers. And lick the plate of life clean. And thanks to Elohim. No Ponzi schemes. Just excellence. Just reverence. He is our banner. I encourage you to look around. Examine creation. It's beautiful, ain't it? The pictures he painted. A beeline, a finish line. I don't mind if they quote me. They ask me why we ain't hot yet. I tell them I'm cooking mine slowly. This ain't a game. We are standard bearers. We raise the banner for our children, for our neighbors, for our communities. Follow the banner. Everybody unashamed. Lock your arms. Plant your feet. Look around. They need you. Follow the banner. Amen. We get to be the people. Amen. Come on. We get to be the people to raise the banner of Jesus Christ and say, hey, we want everybody to know the Savior who saved me. We want to raise the banner and raise the standard and say, no, 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 we are the people of God. I don't go to church. I am the church. I have the presence of God living in me. And God will use me to make a difference. That's the culture we want to shift. That's where we want to go. That's the people we want to be. But it takes the people that are strong and courageous. That's why there's a challenge at the end that says, we're going to serve the Lord. And so I want to ask you, with this challenge, I want you to finish this statement. We're going to take a couple minutes to do this before we walk out. It says, as for me, I will dot, dot, dot. I want you to finish this statement. I want you to think about what's my part, what's my role. God, how do you want to use me for your purpose? But as you think about that, I want you to say this with me first. Everybody say, I can't. Say, he can. Say, he can through me. So 
what you have to know is you may be up against a Jericho saying, I can't. God says, sweet. That's a good opportunity for me to show off. So as you think about what's my part, we have a card for you to look at that has different areas that you can serve in. Some of these areas are Crosstown, Epic, it's special um, teams, it's working with um, grow groups, it's being part of the worship arts ministry, being one of the musicians or helping with cameras, Uh, it's being a part of the greeting team. There's other areas on this card you can be a part of serving and go groups coming up. There's great ways for you to serve. But what I want to do is give you the opportunity to talk in church for a second as well. Because as we play this music, what I want you to do is either write on the back of your impact notes or go ahead and mark a card and fill it out. And talk to the person next to you and say, here's what I feel like God's calling me to do. Here's my part in the story he's writing. And begin to decide as a family or as a couple or as friends that are here together. Here's what I will do. Here's where I will serve. As for me. I will, dot, dot, dot. But before you get started, one last thing. One of the things that's really cool about the name Joshua, in Hebrew, it's the same name as Yeshua, which is the same name as Jesus. And Joshua led people out of a people that were supposed to die, and he led them to a life. And Jesus wants to offer you today, although you're dead in your sins and you're struggling for direction, you don't know what's happening, Jesus offers you new life. He wants to shift your focus. He wants to shift your culture and the way you've been living. And he shifts the challenge today to say, stop trying to do it on your own and instead come to me and let me do what only I can do and save you and give you life. So maybe for you, as for me, I will receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord today. Maybe that's where you're at. But for those of you that know Christ, he's saying, I bought you and claimed you for a purpose. And it's not just to get through life. It's to thrive and be used by me for advancing my kingdom. And so as you guys, just take a moment, talk among yourself. Then then I'll close with one last thing before we go. But pray, write, talk for just a minute about what your part is in this story. know propaganda ended his challenge he said everybody unashamed lock your arms plant your feet look around you they need you follow the banner and for each of us look around there's needs god wants to use you in your home at your work and at this church to be a thermostat setting the temperature setting the culture saying Okay, for far too long we've been thermometers, but no longer. The church of Jesus Christ is going to rise, and we will set the temperature. We will set the culture. We will be the people of God, carrying his presence in us. So as you go, you're going to have an opportunity to drop your card in one of the baskets at one of the tables. We need people to serve, because God is blessing us with a lot of people to serve, which is awesome and a privilege. But we need the people of God in this church to take up the banner and say, all right, here's my part. I'm going to do my part to help this thing go. And and so as you go, do that. Well, we have some ice cream as well. So we're going to help you get the scoop on how to serve as you leave and uh, get a little bit of some ice cream donated by UDF. What a 
privilege and uh, spend some time hanging out, talking, and finding out more about the different ministries here. Blessings.